You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast with your host, me, Brandon Harper. Today is December 13th, 2020. I'm coming at you from Corpus Christi, Texas, and brought to you by the Nuasis Brewing Studios. And by Nuasis Brewing Studios, I mean a laptop and a microphone in my house with a bunch of pillows and blankets surrounding me so the echo isn't so bad. If this is your first time listening, I greatly appreciate it. You won't find much about life in paradise here unless you go back to the very beginning, which started it all. The first series of episodes in this podcast chronicled my life living in uh, San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. Since then, life has moved on. I'm back in Texas. I'm the part owner, part operator, and part janitor of a microbrewery called New Asus Brewing Company. I don't have any made-up scripts, I don't pre-record my intros, and I come here once every week or so to tell it like it is. I'm just a regular dude with lots of opinions, and I need a place to get them off my chest. The entire premise of this podcast is nothing more than me coming here, giving my opinion. One of my main goals is to try to get people to see things from someone else's perspective. And while my opinions on here are very clear, my hope is that someone who opposes them will at least understand where I'm coming from. So I appreciate you tuning in, downloading, streaming, whatever it is you're doing. So just sit back, relax, and hand the yoke over to me for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Yes, I know. I know. It's been two weeks. My apologies. I was out of town last weekend, had no chance to podcast. And every day this week, I worked till like 6 or 6.30 and I came home and I just did not feel like doing this. So everyone can just chill out with all the emails and text messages asking me, what's up with the podcast? Don't be so obsessed. The podcast is coming. In fact, it's here. Lucky you. If you remember, I think from the last podcast I did... I was excited because I felt like soup season was upon us. And man, I went out and bought everything to make all the soups and the gumbo and the chili and the curry and it never really got cold. So between then and now, I have been hooked on Indian curry. I don't know what it is, but just recently I've been craving Indian food. I'm talking about like two, sometimes three times per week. Because I overbuy, I spend more than I should, and I stretch it out into three or four meals. And I used to say that I hated Indian food. I didn't like it, didn't want to smell it, didn't want to taste it, didn't want to touch it. And then my good friend Kale, slash business partner, was like, dude, you got to try Indian food. The spices are on time. So I did, and it's just, it's becoming one of my favorite, favorite cuisines. And I know, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Anyway, all that to say this, it hasn't gotten cold yet. Well, it will like get cold for a couple days and it warms back up. Like right now, I just did some running around and 
shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt. It's December 13th. I'm not complaining. I would much rather it be how it is than tromping and traipsing around in the snow. The older I get, the less I like the cold. It's just, it's not comfortable. It makes your muscles all tightened up. Everything gets sore and hurts. I'll just leave it at that. I'm not a fan of the cold. Anything below like 60 and I get kind of whiny. Speaking of whiny, I have a new theory that I would like to present. And I've talked before about the American spirit or the the culture of the Western world. And, and if you think of the, the phrase, like the American spirit, what does that mean to you? Because I think it could mean something different to everyone. And it kind of depends on the context in which you use it. But to me, the American spirit is kind of a lot of things rolled into one. So here's my definition. Entrepreneurial, responsible, adventurous, risk taker, brave, values, freedoms. And I could probably go on for a while, but I feel like those are the big ones. Uh, you can choose to agree or disagree. But for me, all those things kind of encompass the quote unquote American spirit. I would probably also throw capitalistic in there, although it's a naughty word in some people's opinion and they don't actually know what it means. So you can exclude that or include that, whichever you'd like. I say all that to say this. If you don't agree that those items make up the American spirit, then that's fine. Choose a word that equals those items, okay? For me, it's American spirit. So for the purpose of this theory that I'm going to explain, let's just stick with that, okay? The American spirit. I believe, and it appears to me, that the American spirit is being bred out of us. And I know that sounds like I'm like, a, oh, what are you, a dog guy, trainer, breeder now, talking about being bred? Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I think of most everything in terms of dogs. But let me, let me explain this one here. You see, with dogs, we get to control the type of dogs that are produced. Or, or we can if we want to. We don't have to. They can do it on their own. But there's a lot of selective breeding going on. And so what happens is that we end up looking for traits that we want or don't want in dogs. And then we breed them accordingly to either select those traits or to get them out of the gene pool. Now, if we were to leave those dogs to their own device, what would happen? The, the, the traits that they used would get more pronounced and the traits which aren't considered to be valuable or they don't help in the progression of the gene pool would end up likely going away. You've heard of the old term, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Right. So take, for example, the golden retriever. If you take a golden retriever who has just been pampered for generations and he's been allowed to have his hair grow long and he doesn't have to forage for food and he doesn't have to hunt... After enough of those repetitions of breeding that kind of dog, the dog's not going to remember how to hunt, or it's not going to be ingrained in his, in his little brain on how to go scavenge and, and forage for food. And so I think, at least my theory, is that the same thing happens in humans. Once a characteristic about us becomes unnecessary, it goes away. And while our set of skills or the things that define our American spirit most of them are cultural, right? They're learned. So they're, they go away faster because if we're, if we're looking in terms of dogs, that's encoded in their DNA. It's genetic, right? But when it comes to humans, the American spirit is mainly cultural. It's how we were raised, what our parents taught us, what we learned in school, all the things that shape our adulthood. So you can easily see how something that's genetic is going to take longer to get out of your system or to be 
diminished from the gene pool. So now let's go back and let's look at the American spirit again. And the things that I define it, bravery, entrepreneurial, responsibility, respect, freedom. I feel like with each generation that passes, we're becoming less and less a conglomeration of those things. And I think that's because of when we make progress, well, when we make what some would call progress, we get to a point where those things become unnecessary. So let's just take a simple example. Let's just say that uh, tough, right? The characteristic of being tough falls into the American spirit, which I think that it did way back in the day. Obviously, it's becoming less and less. So let's just say that we can agree that tough was part of the American spirit. Well, 150 years ago, we had we were riding around in wagons and we were on the prairie and you know we were faced with adversity. Well, you fast forward 150 years, there's no adversity. Everything is climate controlled. Everything is bulletproof. Nobody can get into fights. And so the, the necessity to be quote-unquote tough is becoming less and less and less and less. And to me, tough really just means like the ability to, to deal with unpleasant and diverse situations, or I guess adverse situations. I think a good example of this is the, um, the timeout movement, right? I'm not saying it's good to beat your kids. I'm not saying it's good to smack your kids. I'm not saying that. All I'm doing is saying that when we shifted from a whooping to timeout, I think that produced a different individual, a different full-grown individual. And I think that that's just one little example of many things that, that do happen. You know, if you think back to like the 70s and 80s, kid popped off to his parents, kid, kid got a whooping, right? Now, I mean, I don't have any kids, obviously, but I feel like whoopings don't happen anymore. I don't remember the last time I saw a kid get spanked. I don't think that's because kids are getting better. I think that's because parents are lowering their discipline standards. And we've been convinced that hitting children is abusing them. And I'm going to reserve my opinions on that because I don't have kids. I don't know what it feels like to hit your kid. So I have no opinion on that. Those of you who are parents would love to hear this, that I'm not going to say whether or not I think it's right or wrong to hit your kids because I don't have kids. Ask me about dogs, and I can tell you. So if you can agree that, that as times change, certain cultural traits get washed away. If you agree with that, then we're still, you're still with me. We're still on the same page. There's no debate yet. Possibly we could argue about whether or not it's the, um, the change in society or the change in parenting. Either way, they're, they're both kind of one and the same. So let's not go there yet. Okay, so I've given you an example of how I think certain traits that make up the American spirit are being taken away. Tuck that away. Hang on to it. We're going to come back to it. All right. I'm going to try to be brief, but if you know me, you know that I like talking about dogs. So I'm going to jump back to the dogs now, right? Last weekend, I wasn't here because I was at a dog competition. The dog competition that I do with my dog is called Mondio Ring. Mondio Ring replicates uh, the working environment from the Belgian Malinois dog breed in its early years, right? So we have these people who bred this dog to work. And as time goes on, the need for them to work becomes less. We started having better technology. We had fences. We had four-wheelers. We had ways to round up our cows that didn't require dogs. And so the need for them to do their job became less and less and less. But what happened was people started recognizing this, and they started seeing the dog's workability get less and less and less. So what they decided to do was create a sport that just simulated the working aspect of the dog. The dogs don't really know the difference because they were smart enough to know 
that once the genetics go away, you can't get them back, right? Once the gene pool is diluted, it's impossible to regain a, a trait that's been bred out of a dog, unless you crossbreed it with a different different breed, which is fine too. You just got to keep in mind that now you're basically creating a new breed. And for those of you who are wondering, Gypsy and I did not pass the test. We did get the highest score for our level, but it's a pretty hard sport. It takes tons of training and dedication and time, which I don't have, so I just wing it and do the best I can every time. And her score didn't look that awesome, but she looked really good on the field. She had one big error that cost the whole thing, so I'm not too upset. Okay, going back to the dog situation. So what we have realized is that if we want to preserve the working heritage of these dogs, and I'm not just talking about the Belgian Malinois, there's a whole world of dog sports out there, and if you're not a dog person, you, you don't know about it. I've mentioned it before in a previous podcast, but dog sports started um, in the working dog world, right? Dogs that were bred for a purpose. I'm talking about protection dogs, which is the German Shepherd and the Malinois. I'm talking about retrievers, which is the Labrador, the Chesapeake Chesapeake Bay Retriever and the Golden Retriever, they do what's called Retriever Field Trials. The Pointing Dogs have their version of the field trial, right? These are dogs that are made to run out in a field and uh, they look for birds. When they find the birds on the ground, they point at them until you walk up to them and you flush them and you can shoot them in the air. There's also a sport called Nose Work where dogs get scored on how well they search and indicate for a, a hidden scent not too far off from what drug dogs do. There's also one called Barn Hunt, which is where you turn a dog loose in a barn with a bunch of hidden rats that are in these little PVC cages, and you get scored on how fast your dog can find them. And so even within those working dog sport fields, things have spun off of those, right? So in the retriever world, they started field trials. I think it was like the late 40s or 50s. And so they started scoring dogs on how well they could perform in hunting scenarios. Well, what happened was they figured out that these dogs could work at a level that's far beyond what's necessary in a hunting scenario. So they started raising the bar and raising the bar and pushing the dogs. And, and when I say push, I don't mean like forcing. I'm just saying hold them to a higher standard. You know, get them, teach them to do more than what they need to do. Well, what ended up happening was that the, uh, the guys realized that they had to train so much in, in order to compete that they didn't have time. A working man couldn't do it. It was a doctor and lawyer sport. So then another deal spun off called the hunt tests. And those basically mimic a hunting environment and test the dog's workability. And it's more of a pass-fail type sport. There's not a first place, second place. It's uh, more inclusive. You don't have to train year-round. You can just train right before the season. It's a good way to get your dog in shape before hunting season. But yeah, so all these other sports have spun off. There's one called dock diving, where you measure the distance, how far the dog can jump into the water. There's dog dancing. There's frisbees. There's one called lure coursing, where the dog chases around this inanimate object on a field, and it gets scored on how fast it can chase it. I don't know all the rules, but you get the idea. So there's all kinds of games you can play with your dogs. The Origins was working dogs, and it spun off to a funzy, all kinds of stuff since then. And once again, you know, the reason that they do this is to preserve the working heritage, right? You have people that that breed dogs for the wrong reasons. They breed dogs just based on how they look, or they breed dogs just for money. And when you do that and you're not paying attention to other things, they end up getting diluted. If you take a look at the German Shepherd, 
it's evolved into two different lines. There's a working line and there's a show line. They're totally different looking dogs. They have different desires. They behave differently. And so we need people. We don't necessarily need people to breed German Shepherds to look pretty, in my opinion. But we do need people to breed German Shepherds to preserve their workability. Because once that's gone, we can't regain it. If you need a dog that's got some fire in him and he likes to chase and bite things and he's a little bit angry and he doesn't want people in his face, if you need that in a German Shepherd and there's none around that act that way, you can't do it. You can't get it. It's done. Okay, so if you're still with me, let's go back to the American spirit. I'm of the opinion that if we don't practice these things, these behaviors, and you know, it's not so much genetics for us, but these things which are lost, if, if my dad didn't teach me certain things and my mom didn't teach me, I'm not going to teach my kids. And so th- that could be squashed in, in, in way fewer generations than a genetic trait. I honestly think that if you took the coronavirus situation and you put it back in the 70s and you put these mandates out there and you put all these lockdowns and these rules and shutting down businesses I think you'd have an uprising on your hands. And I think the further back in time you go, the more of, an, of a problem you'd have on your hands. I mean, just look at some of these third world countries and the way that they're dealing with the coronavirus. They're not shutting anything down. They're not telling people they can't go to restaurants and eat. They're not telling people that they can't go to their relatives' houses for holidays. No, because they're so poor, they'll die. They can't go without working. They can't go without contributing to society because their government has no money and they're just fine. They're just fine. But I'm not here to talk about the coronavirus. That was the point of this section. So I'm going to back up a little bit. Think about the way that we used to teach kids to deal with bullies. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad would tell me, you never fight, never fight unless you're sticking up for someone or you're defending yourself. And if you do, if you decide you're going to get in a fight, don't lose. He used to say, Fighting is for dogs, but if you have to fight, fight like one. I'll never forget that. And I don't know exactly what the narrative is now between parents and kids and bullying. I know that I've seen the, like this, like, if you see something, say something, or go tell somebody. And if I ever have kids, I'm not going to be that dad. I'm not. I'm going to say, you, you need to figure out how to handle it. You need to sort it out. Either if you guys can't talk through it, and you feel like he wants to fight, don't throw the first punch. Other than that, this game on. And I think that can be taught at the same time that, that your kids are being taught that fighting is not okay. You can still maintain that it's a last resort. But at the same time, your child can also learn how to deal with adversity. And, and I think that that is one of the keys to having a kid who makes it. And, and you can define makes it however you want to. But, but what doesn't make it is a kid who's in their 30s, depending on their parents, you know, or even 20s for that matter. Regardless, my, my theory is if we don't teach people these things and let them use them, they will go away. And we either have to be okay with that or not okay with that. In my opinion, if we let all these things go, we're letting go of the American spirit. And the America as we knew it will be gone. And maybe that's okay. Maybe people want that. But just remember, there's nothing we can ever do to get it back once it's gone. Speaking of being gone, you know who I feel bad for these days? And this might be an unpopular opinion, but I feel bad for smokers, like cigarette smokers. I heard the other day 
that some city passed a law that made it illegal to smoke in your apartment if you if you share a wall with someone else. But but not marijuana, only cigarettes. I was like, man, these cigarette smokers can't catch a break. Hey, believe me, I don't like cigarettes. I don't like the way they smell. I don't like to smoke. I don't like anything about cigarettes. I do like freedom. And I'm smart enough to recognize that these poor people's freedom is being taken from them. And right now it's the worst. And here's why. Because you still have people who, when they started smoking, it was the cool thing to do. It was hip. You did it in your doctor's office. You did it in the dentist's waiting room. You smoked on airplanes. You smoked everywhere you went. Now, if you go from that point in time to today, where if you so much as light up a cigarette within X amount of feet from a building... Everyone's screaming and hollering at you and bitching at you and telling you to stop. And your kids are telling you, you got to quit smoking. You've got to stop. You can't keep smoking. And your doctor's telling you, you can't smoke anymore. You've got to quit smoking. And there's advertisements that say, you can't smoke anymore. You've got to quit smoking. And in this poor person's head, they're thinking, man, like 40 years ago, I could just smoke anywhere I wanted to. What happened? How, How did this all change? I sure hope this is not going to be the same way with the stupid face diapers. Oh, listen, people who smoke, they know the dangers of it. And while it might be impossible to not try to get a loved one to quit, there's a certain way you got to go about doing it. And either it'll work or it won't, but they have to decide on their own. You're not going to tell a smoker something they don't know about smoking. You're not going to show them a picture they've never seen. You're not going to tell them about how it makes their lungs black. You're not going to tell them about how it makes their teeth yellow or that it makes their fingernails yellow or that it makes them not be able to taste things as much. None of that is going to matter because they, they know it all. Now, I get that there's some externalities in smoking, meaning secondhand smoke bothers people. You know, smoking in someone's car is gross, and that's okay. Like, that's individuals should have the right to say who smokes and who doesn't in their establishment or that everyone can smoke or that nobody can smoke. We do not need the government to tell us whether or not people are allowed to smoke inside of our establishments. Hey, listen, I hate smoking. I just told you that. Here I am saying that it should be up to the business owner. I would not allow it inside my business, but there are people out there who would allow it. And they're willing to take the risk of people not going there. In fact, I think if you could have a smoking bar... All the smokers would go there and you'd stay busy and it would be great. It would give the smokers a place to hang out and the non-smokers a place to hang out and nobody would be bitching and the poor cigarette smokers wouldn't have to go outside and burn up or freeze just to smoke a cigarette. But yeah, it would suck to have a habit that went from like super accepted everywhere to completely shunned and you're killing yourself and everyone around you if you do it. And hey, listen, I know it must be so tough to quit. Everyone I know who's ever smoked has tried multiple times. I used to have a a funny saying, well, I still do actually, but when someone says, oh yeah, I quit smoking, I always say, you didn't quit, you're just taking a break. And they kind of laugh and I always make sure I tell them, hey, really, if you want to quit, I hope you you don't start again. I saw it with my mom. She probably quit 10, 15 times. So yeah, I think that there's, um, it's just way more addictive than what anyone ever thought it would be. And it sucks when people haven't, it's like the only addiction problem that we like scream at them about, you know, like if someone's addicted to heroin, we like take them in and we try to figure out how to get them help. And, you know, we're nice to them. We don't tell them they're idiots, maybe in like a, a rage. But other than that, we're like, we have to help the addicts. We have to get them help. They're hooked on fentanyl. We got to get them help. We have an opioid crisis. We have to get them help. Not smokers. Sorry. 
gross. He's smoking cigarettes. Ugh. Speaking of help, hallelujah. The vaccine is among us. It's going out for distribution. One thing I thought of the other day um, in regards to the anti-masker movement or whatever those people call people who don't like to wear masks was you don't ever hear about the 104-year-old person who beat COVID without a mask or they didn't, they didn't approve of masks, you know? You only hear of the people who died and they didn't wear masks. You never hear of the people who lived and didn't wear masks, which I think is funny. It shows you who's controlling what's coming out of the media. Regardless, I'm not going to go off on a mask tirade. I do think it's funny the vaccine's here and we're already arguing about who gets it. Just as I suspected. I also would like to remind you that I called it that the U.S. would be the first country to produce a vaccine. Uh, yeah, it wasn't Norway. It wasn't Sweden. It wasn't Denmark. It wasn't Switzerland. It wasn't anyone in the European Union. It wasn't Venezuela. It wasn't Canada. It wasn't anyone with a socialized healthcare system. Once again, the trade-off that you get for everyone being covered is vast leaps in technology and advancements. I've already explained that. I'm not going to go into it again. Just take note. This is one of the things that we get from our terrible, terrible healthcare system that just leaves people dying in the streets. Oh yeah, but we produced a vaccine in nine months that was said we couldn't do in five years. All because of that evil thing called capitalism. You see, President Trump dangled the carrot in front of those pharmaceutical companies. Uh, you know what? I will make you billions and billions of dollars if you produce a vaccine. And here we are. He gave money. They produce a vaccine. Everyone's happy. Uh, except for the taxpayers. We're going to have to pay for it at some point. But that's a different topic. And I want to take just a minute to, to break down my viewpoints. Imagine that, right? You're like, you're thinking to yourself right now, oh God, we already know how you feel about COVID. You don't have to tell us. I know I don't have to, <laughs> but I'm going to back it up a little bit. And I want to look at things from a, not, I say global, but not the whole earth. I want to look at things from a, a perspective, a bird's eye view of how, how I think we should be treating this whole situation. And I know it's going to sound barbaric, but I'm going to bring it all back together. So I think the government should stay away. I think that they should not mandate Anyone do anything different if they don't want to. I think that they should let stupid people make stupid decisions. And people would say to that, yeah, but it affects other people. That's correct. If they leave their homes, right? So it affects people if they choose to participate. If people want to be unaffected from the virus, they can stay at their house. Okay. So what I say is let everyone figure it out. You know what? What if they overrun the hospitals and the hospitals fill up and people die in the hallways? Okay. You know what will happen? People will start staying home. Let people die in the hallways. If you're too dumb to deal with it, if you're too proud to wear a mask, then you know what? You may die in the hallway. I think that nobody knows what's best for themselves other than themselves, assuming they are a mature adult and of sound mind. So that's part of freedom. Freedom is the ability to make decisions that are bad for yourself or, or, and, and also collectively make decisions that are bad for the community. But typically, there has to be a majority. You have to have a lot of the people making individual bad decisions has a bad effect on the community. Absolutely. But remember, our way out, the, the, the protector in this deal 
is I can choose to stay home. So let's just say that everything got bad. People were dying in the hallways. We're piling up bodies in the freezers and it just looks so bad. And everyone's wearing white suits. What do I do? I stay home. I know that if I stay home, I'll be fine. So what you would have is a natural equilibrium. The people, it's just like a free market. People would figure out a way to mitigate the spread to a level that's comfortable. Or maybe... Maybe everyone is okay with people dying in the hallways except for 10%. And maybe those 10% are the one who are screaming the loudest about mandating all these things. It's just causing, it's causing all sorts of friction that, in my opinion, it doesn't need to be there. We can sort this out on our own. Because I guarantee you right now, if people are scared of it enough, they're staying home. They're staying home right now. Which means all this other stuff that you're requiring people do... It may or may not be helping. We don't know. The only way to find out is to let everyone decide how they want to handle it. Now, this is different than a scenario that I heard the other day. It's like, well, just like you don't you don't let your kids uh, ride their bicycle without a helmet because they're not smart enough to know what's best for them. That's right, because they're children, they're kids. But when you have full grown adults, only they know what's best for themselves. And you know what? Sometimes they're wrong. But what has to happen for people to learn? They have to make bad decisions and there has to be a punishment involved. Once that happens, they learn and typically they're not going to repeat the same mistake. So what happens now? We have all these mandates. We have all these rules. We have all these people telling us you can't do this. You can't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. So what happens when the next pandemic hits? It's going to be the exact same thing. Okay. So if we were left to our own device and the government said, you guys, you need to figure it out. We don't have a way to stop this virus other than telling everyone to stay home. We're not going to take away people's freedoms by mandating that they can eat inside or outside or wear a mask or don't wear a mask. That's not what we're here to do. You guys figure it out. And so maybe the government can contribute to people who want to sit home and maybe they can give them a quarter of their normal wages. I don't know. I have no problem with that. I do have a problem with people telling us what we have to do not knowing what the outcome can be. Also knowing that it's going to happen again and it's going to happen again. It's going to happen every single time unless we learn on our own, make our own decisions and suffer the consequences or the benefits, nothing will change. And how do I know this? Ask any parent and they'll tell you, listen, I made some bad decisions growing up. I really did. I made some bad ones and I made some good ones. Overall, I feel like my decisions have been pretty good throughout my life. But my mom took the approach of, Brandon, you're smart enough to make your own decisions. Whatever happens to you based on your decisions, it's going to be your problem. It's not going to be my problem. If you do something and you go to jail, do not call me. I will not come bail you out of jail. And I knew that. So I didn't make the really, really stupid decisions. Or maybe I did and I didn't get caught. And maybe I felt lucky that I didn't get caught. So I thought, you know what? I'm not going to do that again. I didn't get caught once. I don't want to push my luck. I think it should be legal to ride around without a helmet on a motorcycle. I think it should be legal to drive around without a seatbelt. I think it should be legal to use any kind of drug you want to use. And I know that's an unpopular opinion. I know lots of people out there think, you can't do that. You're going to have a world of zombies. Well, just go look at Portugal. I think Uruguay also. They legalized everything. They're figuring out that they don't have a world full of zombies. Because people who wanted to do drugs and did not do them because the law are responsible people. So they become legalized, they try them, and guess what? They're still responsible people. If we spent more time 
teaching people how to make good decisions, we wouldn't be faced with the idea of forcing things. And you could put that in your pipe and smoke it. You know, what's funny to me is that the, the, the people who are really pushing for the mask and the control and the rules and the mandates, the people who advocate all that, not necessarily the behavior, but the mandates, the people who want the government to tell us what to do and the government to manage this and the government to do things to make us safe. Those people are also the people who believe in the theory of evolution and the survival of the fittest and Darwinism. But those two don't don't really fit together, right? You can't believe in survival of the fittest and freedom to do so, and we need the government to protect stupid people. If you do, one of those is a contradiction. Like, if you think that stupid people don't wear masks, hey, now's your chance. Shut up and let the stupid people die off. If you believe in Darwinism and the smart people wear the masks and they'll survive this thing, then why don't you just shut your mouth and let the stupid people not wear masks and don't be around the stupid people without masks. You can choose to go wherever you want to go. You can stay six feet away from them. Let Darwin do his thing. And I think strangely enough, this ties back to my whole first point about how when we become comfortable as a community or as a society, we just find the next thing to ratchet down on. We just find the next, the next thing to control or the next thing to regulate, or the next thing to manage. You know, there's always something else. There's always another rule that people think need to get made. I mean, it's basic, uh, basic human behavior, right? We don't, we don't figure out how to have air-conditioned seats in our cars before we have power steering, right? Just a natural progression of, of things. As one thing gets done, then we look for the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, until eventually people start to realize, well, or I don't know, maybe they don't, but eventually... We look around and we see that we're fighting over nothing, over nothing. Look around the rest of the world. We don't really have anything to fight over. And make no mistake about it, even though I have my opinion about how we do things and how we manage things, I don't think there's a better country on the face of the earth. And so I always make that a point to say it because what I don't like is people who just sit around and bitch and they complain and they whine and they present no solutions and they say, oh, yeah, every country's better than America. Every first world country's better than America. No, no. If that's the case, you'd live there. So just keep in mind that even though we bitch and fight and argue with our neighbors and our friends and our family about the way things should be, and we're all experts, no matter what's the best country in the world. Okay, 40 minutes. I am about to go make some Indian Cardi. This will be the first time I've ever made it. I hope it turns out well. We've got a pretty exciting week coming up this week. Our first Nuasis Brewing Company Christmas party. Me and Kale and all eight of our employees are going to go out to dinner and have a nice dinner. I don't know how we're going to pay for it. Hopefully our credit card's still good. Um, last Christmas we didn't have a Christmas party because it was just me, Kale, and two other guys. So this year we actually have a Christmas party. See, we're doing all the things you're supposed to do. So without further ado, I'm going to wrap this thing up, put a bow on it, and let you get back to your life. I'd like to personally thank you for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'd like to say thanks to all 15 of my faithful listeners. I encourage everyone to go out there, be brave, speak your mind. Don't allow people to make decisions for you. Make your own decisions. Suffer your own consequences. Train your dogs. Teach your kids about the spirit of America and how it got us to where we are. Embrace the ideology that tough is a good virtue and try to be tough. 
and teach others around you to be tough. And contrary to popular belief, one can be sensitive to others and also be tough. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranquilo.